0: Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and
1: connections through our favorite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guringai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge
0: mana whenua of Te Awakairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today.
1: Hello. Hello, hello. Is it sunny where you are? It looks like it might be sunny it's a beautiful
0: sunny day after oh, yesterday was just a miserable raining foggy mess like all the flights were cancelled everything was terrible yeah. yesterday and today it's a beautiful 24 degrees glorious sun that's
1: ideal I and love that is actually
0: that. what sparked joy for me this week as well because yay. i just went for a nice long walk with my friend sophie in the sun oh. and it's just so nice just to like recharge with that precious vitamin d
1: yes it's so good it's so good to get out and just put the sun on your face for a few minutes every day if it's out there waiting to be shone upon you
0: yeah just tops
1: you up we've had the weirdest weather it's been just really oppressive and cloudy but it's supposed to rain all week and i'm like okay i'm gonna hang all the dogs muddy towels on the washing line Mm. so that they can like get rinsed off and then i can bring them in and wash them but it hasn't rained enough to like get rid of the mud because the dog Mm. has a towel for like she has a a couple of towels for her bed and then she drags them outside with her and I was like if you're gonna say it's gonna rain okay I need you to do this so I don't have to dig my hose out <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a bit resentful that we haven't gotten rain but um it's all it's very sunny today but still really humid so yeah we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah so I've got the air con going thank goodness for air con
0: yeah makes a big difference
1: Oh, lifesaver I've already said what's up joy for me, so what's up joy for you this week? Uh so I finally replaced two appliances. I Ooh. I have had a hand mixer that's called like a sunbeam beater mix or something <laughs> and it is like 20 years old. I bought it when I first moved here, which is almost 20 years ago, and it was $12 at Kmart and I love that thing. I love it. And it last year started to die and I was like really sad about it. So I bought myself Aww. a new matching my other KitchenAid stuff I bought myself the KitchenAid hand mixer and then because it was a good deal I also bought a new food processor because my current KitchenAid food processor which is really big and really heavy and really great the like the I don't want to call it a bucket but like the bowl attachment and the lid attachment Mm. are just badly designed and so I've had to replace them like four times and I'm like okay everything's falling apart I think I just need to get a smaller one that might be better designed (laughs) so I have replaced two appliances and I feel pretty happy about it Oh, delightful. What color are they? Uh, I go for almond cream because it will match everything and it's not stark white. I was like, white's <laughs> probably the sensible option, but like I went for beige, which is mm. super Stepford wife of me. But <laughs> it turns out it looks really vintage, I think. So. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> cute. so it kind of fits in with my whole like 1950s aesthetic going on. So, yeah, it's good. Mm, nice. Oh, good
0: job getting that
1: done. Thank you. Well, this week we're reading chapters fifty
0: five to sixty one through the theme of disillusionment, which is a dark one, but did mm. you have a theme a story on the theme for us?
1: I do. So I wanted to talk about a time when like disillusionment actually worked in my favor, which was a real theme for my reading this week. I kept thinking like, yes, this disillusionment has fallen away, but is it a bad thing? Um mm. and the strongest example I have of this was a conversation i was having with a friend another one of the gens um mm-hmm. this particular jen is my friend Luix, who lives in the us and she and i have been internet friends for like i really want to say more than 20 years so like yeah she so like ha- over half my life we've been friends i think we started talking when i was 18 so um yeah she has been a constant friend for me and like she's a writer as well so we'll often bump back and forth and like when I was going through my biggest my my most recent manuscript that I was agonizing over we were texting a lot and it was also around the same time that I was navigating all of the year one diagnosis stuff with my oldest child so I was like really anxious like I got called in for a meeting at the school and I was like oh no what are they going to say what are they going to do like we just got her to this place and it seems really good and Luke's was really really great she just said well why don't you just go into that meeting and expect that they're going to help you and that was a really fundamental shift for me because it just basically I mean it's the same advice I give to everybody which is fake it till you make it Hmm. but it really presented me with this option of like, hey, actually, maybe you could just like decide how it's going to go. And and actually, when I went into that meeting, I went in thinking, all right, we're going to solve this problem. Whatever it is, we're going to solve it. And because I went in like that, the teacher was like, oh, I'm so glad we're collaborating. I don't even remember what the meeting was about. Honestly, I just remember the dread of like, oh, no, what am I going to do? And then Louie's fantastic advice. Um, but I think about that probably every week because it has come in so handy as like a metric Mm. like just casting out the idea of like the negative thing is the possibility has been so useful and I think that that's kind of an interesting way to look at disillusionment like that was an illusion I had I had an illusion that because things had been hard prior to that that it would be hard that this conversation with this particular teacher who was not like a warm fuzzy hand-holding teacher but was more like a strict educational like I'm going to make this happen for your kid kind of person she didn't come off as like really friendly but she was very I mean she's really lovely she's just not like instantly warm um so I'd you know I'd been worried because our personalities aren't quite lined up and I was like oh no but like Mm. just casting that away just saying no that's not true that is an illusion I'm going to be disillusioned and that actually came out better for me so I think like there's not really a lesson here because sometimes you can really talk yourself into being a complete idiot which I've definitely done um, but sometimes you really have to say, like, what am I afraid of? Is this the truth, or is just this just an idea that I have built up in my head? And if it is, then you can safely say, okay, well, I'm going to crush the illusion. I'm going to willfully disillusion myself to the outcome I think will happen, and maybe aim for a better one. Hmm. Such an interesting read
0: on disillusionment to like put a positive twist on it.
1: Yeah, Trust because... you to find the positive. <laughs> yes, my job as a professional optimist. Um, yeah, I think it's. It's easy to be like, oh, she was disillusioned. And like we use it as shorthand for like the removal of naivete or or like the wising up of someone or like the cynicism. But like I am bored with cynicism, like unless it's funny, funny cynicism is okay, But I'm bored with genuine cynicism of people who are like, oh, you're sliding with people who are like, (laughs) no, the world is terrible. It's never going to get better. We might as well just give up now that we're like, no, no, that's not going to work. I mean, things are hard, but. We have an opportunity to try and live in community and make things better and exist within conversation with each other. So I think we should try for that. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: No. Definitely lots to unpack there in terms of our section. So I'll do the chapter summaries and then we can mm. crack on with it. Thank you. So in this section, Gansey walks the tunnel to Glendower until his phone battery runs out and then he decides to keep going even though he's scared of swarms. But it turns out the Gangzi dreams something up to help him find him and so he's no longer alone underground. They follow the tunnel until it ends in a tomb. They do find Glendower, but Glendower has been dead for centuries. There is no waking this sleeping king. The Gangzi decide to regroup. Gansey is 99% sure he has to be sacrificed to kill the demon, but they're all trying to think of a way out of that. They decide to head back to Caveswater when Adam is possessed, hands and eyes, and tries to kill Ronan. They tie Adam up and continue to make their way to Caveswater until they're interrupted by a lake of blood on the road. Back in Henrietta, the political fundraiser has come and gone, but the sale for the demon is about to start. Mr. Grey and Sionduk? that? Sunduck, I think. Sunduck, okay. Mr. Grey and Sunduck... Okay, I'll do that again, hang on. (laughs) Mr. Grey and Sunduck are having a tete-a-tete about the restructuring of the magical artifacts community when Piper arrives on a magic carpet made of demon wasps. The demon is pretty terrible, though, which everyone can clearly see, and eventually Lamonier shoots Piper, the demon works harder, and all they are making. Um, yeah, a lot going on.
1: I didn't want to try and summarize what happens with Adam blindfolded at the very last chapter of our reading this week, because I find it really hard. I didn't read ahead because I didn't want to have the specifics, but I think we should say that, like, the demon basically burrows into Piper and I think it comes out in Roman Ronan as he's driving, I think, but I'm not sure, because I can't remember. But something happens and they're, like, stopped in the road and Adam is experiencing this blindfolded and bound and cannot mm. do anything about it. So I want to talk about,
0: even though you've put this lovely positive spin on disillusionment, I did want to talk about... <laughs> this kind of disillusionment with magic and myth that I think mm-hmm. happens in this yeah, section. Yeah. I feel like our characters have really only engaged with, and with magic as a means to wonder or as a means to make things great. Like That's not to say they haven't been through traumatic things, which they obviously have, but in yeah. a way there's always an element of like wonder and life about it whereas this demon has really corrupted that like it's the inverse of everything they've experienced so far. So there is a bit of yeah. a disillusionment being like you can't have the light without without the dark.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But this is
0: also reflected in this underworld, this crime underworld, right? Because yeah. they I think have also sort of been playing fast and loose with the concept of magic and now they're confronted with this very real evil thing.
1: Yeah. That is the, reality burying of the demon.
0: Yeah, that is burying into their thoughts and their memories and using it against them to the point where Le Monnier shoots his own daughter.
1: Yeah, and everyone's like, okay, well, we know that that means it's serious. we got to get out of here. I love that that's what makes them all run for the hills is that Lamonier, who's famously fond of his daughter, even though they haven't talked for a decade, would shoot her. Mm. There's something interesting and- about the, like, the scales of illusion falling from the eyes of the people there in that yeah. moment.
0: And also Piper, even though you know it happens so quickly that this demon betrays her and she ends up dead, I think there must be a moment of disillusionment from her as well. Like she mm. thought she was in control, she thought she had this thing in the bag, and then mm. turns out you don't. And I love that line where Lamoniere says to her, "Your ambition is constantly outstripping your education."
1: Such a great line, isn't it? Mm. It is a very interesting perspective. I love that he says that because he is correct like i mean immediately monia is like how do you hand over a demon do you even know how to do this do you know what you have with you do you are you doing the telling of it or is it telling you what to do like they've got it pegged that piper is not actually in charge here despite her wish and appearance to be Mm. which is really interesting because like there's that illusion of her being in charge and the demon's just like okay as long as it aligns then sure but the second that it doesn't align it has no use for her and gets rid of her yeah yeah So there's definitely something about like what our desire means in like in conversation with our disillusionment
0: yeah and it reminds me i've been watching a lot of doctor who recently mm. and there are very many cases where the bad guy, quote unquote, will be siding with the evil aliens who are trying to take over the world because they are furthering their own ambition in some way. And they always yeah. have this weird expectation that, oh well, you know, the alien promised me this, and therefore it's fine, and I'm going to betray my fellow humans to make that happen. And that never works out. They always end up betrayed in the end. And I feel yeah. like this is a very similar. It's the classic story, right? You don't. You're dabbling with forces you don't understand. Why do you think they're on your side?
1: <laughs> I mean, this is the same premise as the don't date it don't cheat with a cheater <laughs> like I mean <clears throat> sorry to put it so bluntly but like this is a story that plays out romantic relationships too right yeah that like if you're aligning yourself with somebody who would be a betrayal or who would betray you then you will be betrayed um yeah I wonder how many expectations lead to disillusionment so like because the the concept of disillusionment being one that you have this hope or you you have this belief and then it is like taken from you and it's almost always said negatively which is probably why I reached so hard to find a positive spin but that like that yeah. plays into it like is, is Gansey wanting this favor for Glendower he's talking about it as if he needs to make meaning of his life why he was saved he needs to know that it was Glendower who saved him and then he realizes it could never have been and he's like I don't mm. know who to be or how yeah. to live or to thank I think that's really interesting it's such a fascinating aspect of his disillusionment it's not that Glendower is dead that was always a possibility but the fact that he was always dead and that it wasn't Glendower who brought Gansey back the first time I feel like that is more the grief of yeah yeah because he's been talking this whole last two or three sections about how aware of his impending death he is and he knows it's going to happen and he's figured out that he is going to have to be the sacrifice But now he's Mm. like, but I I was wrong about this fundamental aspect of my identity. It's the disillusionment
0: with self or the disillusionment with Mm. identity or destiny. And this is something that I find incredibly fascinating and something that I think we all experience in some way or another. When you discover some fundamental aspect of who you thought you were, turns out to be incorrect. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. And so, you know he's really struggling that, like, Ganzi thought he knew what he was about, and he thought other people knew what he was about, and turns out no one knows like, he even says, you know, he'd forgotten how many times he'd been told he was destined for greatness what was, was this all there was and then on page 384, perhaps the greatness was only in what he could be to others which I think is so interesting, because it's such a callback to how Blue felt in the first book, how she yeah. only, she's only great in what she, the service she can offer to others, like, useful, right Needed and now Ganzi is suddenly yeah he thought he was destined even though he didn't really believe it he didn't want to believe it about himself but he it was a belief that he held like whether or yeah. not he consciously believed it and to have that challenged is it's a hard thing and i love yeah i love yeah. when he says he was mourning all the versions he had been in the last seven years
1: yeah that's a rough one that's the existential crisis i think that he's having like he's really letting go of all of the younger versions of himself who had this hope and optimism that he would be able to find glendower and wake him And the other thing that this series really does is they give us that promise of magic. After Gwanklin, you believe it's possible. Yeah. Like, you really do. But the story doesn't give us that neat and tidy of an ending. And I'm really grateful for it, just in terms of, like, a story that has a through line. Because at the end of the day, it will be Gansey. It will be Gansey and his friends. It's not going to be a magical, sleeping Welsh king who solves things. He can only ever get help from the people around him. But they will all have to work together to do it and they will all have to have the intention to do that.
0: And what a beautiful moment of connection as well between them, you know, yeah. on page three seventy four when he he says, you know, they'd come here for him, they'd come here for him. They come here for him. Like he doesn't <laughs> even believe it. Even though these people have never given him any reason to doubt, yeah. He still s- somehow doubted and yeah he and was then they shocked all... at
1: being found he, he yeah. didn't think they would come for him like that's a disillusionment that was taken off of him he doesn't have to do it alone it might be his quest but he is not in it alone
0: no and like even Henry came underground right after he was like I would never ask him to do it in the previous section and then of course they would all rather choose to do nothing than hurt Adam like that is yes. a big moment of connection this. I thought as well
1: and I love that everyone's worry about Adam was that Adam would take it personally. They're like, we know, Gansey, we know it's not you. And then Henry at one point's like, D- don't, don't try and sacrifice yourself just because you tried to kill someone. L- let's not be hasty. <laughs> like, like, no I one is think- letting him take this on because they know it's not him, which is really beautiful. I do think
0: for Adam, there's like a little bit of disillusionment with positivity because he is a pessimist. Like he is oh, really yeah. cynical. Like he really struggles to accept that good things exist in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says in this chapter on page four hundred three, he could not decide if this was the worst thing that had happened to him or if it felt that way because he had been so recently and senselessly happy that the comparison yeah. was making it so. And I'm like, no, Adam, don't go down this road where you're like, oh well, I guess it's not worth being happy because everything will always go terribly wrong. <sighs>
1: this is like a week, right? This whole book is like a week long. It's like mm-hmm. four or five days. It's like a really short amount of time. <laughs> Everything happens so much all of the time, especially in this section. Yeah. I like that Ganzi is trying to find a way to make meaning of doing this, this sacrifice, and I like that <laughs> like that. Ronan is just like, no, you're not doing it. And then there's that beautiful parallel of Ronan being like, no, he wasn't protesting, he wasn't u- upset, he was just factual. And then you know, later, Ganzi says, well, Blue saw my spirit on the ley line, so I already know that I die this year. Occam's razor suggests the simplest explanation is the right one. We decide that it is me. Blue did what? Ronan demanded. When were you going to tell me? Never, Blue said. She didn't say it in a protesting way or an angry way or an upset way. Just never. Factual. Like, they're the same person. It wasn't about keeping it from Ronan. It was about not willing it, willing it into truthfulness, I think.
0: And I think, you know, Gansey makes the point that Adam seems to be making it up on the spot that he's coming up with a solution just to, like, kind of, you yeah. know, get Ronan to simmer down. But I do think Adam, you know, he's not wrong. Like, Adam is so quick and good at making connections that he's mm-hmm. like, well, it says you have to die. It doesn't say you have to stay dead. So he's right. just puzzling it through.
1: Yeah. He's like, okay, maybe this will work. We can try it this way, but we'd have to be at Caveswater because that's where the magic makes sense to me. Like, it's a very sensible plan and it gives them a direction, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing about a story is that you can't make it easy until it's the end. And then they have to have earned it. And we're not there yet. So instead of being able to just go to Caveswater and try this, Ronan begins to get unmade. And that is something that is acceptable to literally nobody. So yeah. now they're going to be forced to act. So the disillusionment, the last disillusionment is the, the the last illusion of their control over their circumstances that they'll be able to do this in a way that they can regain Gansey they're going to have to reckon with that and that's where we leave the section which is so hard because gansey's like very he's very baldly stating like i don't want to die i'm scared to death can we please think of another way but if we can't then this is what we have to do yeah incredibly noble and kingly of him yeah
0: yeah that's a lot also i think it's very true to life in a way as well. Like when you face with impossible circumstances, you know, we don't deal with magic or demons on a daily basis, but you do face issues where you have to, you know, struggle with things that you couldn't maybe anticipate or didn't think yep. was going to happen. Like the worst case scenario, you, these things happen. And sometimes you just need forward <laughs> momentum. You just need to do something. Like you could be like, okay, we could try this and we could do this and maybe this will work and you don't know. But the yeah. act of doing is so important. It's so important to keep going, I think, because it's when you stop that thing sort of fall apart
1: yeah 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 put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving like a shark if you stop you'll stop breathing
0: yeah and it, it might not be the right thing but even in the doing you might come up with other solutions as you go that might that yeah. are the right thing I just think sitting around and waiting is never the answer in a crisis
1: <laughs> yeah but I have a whole thing about that because I am the doer so I worry that my doing and solving and fixing is not actually being with people when they need it Which is why I have the Don't Just Do Something Stand There written all Mm. over my study, everywhere. It's reminding me to like bear witness, to be the person that the the other party needs at that moment as much as I can. Mm. Which is a really hard one for me because I am a man of action. I like to go and do and jump and spin Mm. kick and roundhouse things in the face that are hurting my friends and family. But uh, it does not work out that way a lot of the time. Sometimes you just have to sit there and stand Wait. or stand there and do nothing in order to best serve the people in your yeah, life. yeah like
0: enable the people through your support to yeah. do what they need to do yeah
1: this is what blue is doing for adam in the back of the car like she doesn't get too close at his request but she still holds on to him and takes care of him and looks after him in a way that he knows she is giving him something and he's comforted by it even though he feels like he doesn't deserve it Mm. and I love that they're back to touching like that's really nice I love that they can touch and it's not weird now because they're not like are we dating are we not dating yeah. it really is wonderful yeah an orphan girl with her red ribbon it is a Scorpio season so it reminds me very much of the red and the bells and all of the knots and sevens and threes that, that Sean Kendrick would do for core Mm and his mane yeah. mm. the red in the magic
0: yeah where did she get this ribbon <laughs> she had been hoarding it
1: I don't know maybe she ate I kinda it I kind of forgot she, coughed she was it up.
0: <laughs> yeah. I forgot she was there until the blue you know so nice to her as well being like aren't you clever you know she's so kind to her and I'm like what? what's orphan girl doing here and I'm like oh yeah that's right she was in the back of the car
1: <laughs> she just hangs out there it's like her little uh, den maybe it's probably going to be comfortable she's just little yeah if anyone's ever had like a grubby five-year-old tagging along behind them i can say that it is very much like that like having a grubby five-year-old is just like having orphan girl except maybe (laughs) without the hooves but like stop don't eat that what are you doing hey come back here no don't do that (laughs) it's a lot of like please don't hurt yourself in a way that you are imperiled also having a puppy oh the puppy thing yes for sure just leave the towels inside bella I did want to toss into the discussion that Ganzi has this whole thing about not being a commander of people. So Henry mm. says, like, order me to tell B to find your king. And Ganzi's like, well, I don't command people. Like, he's, he's, he has this whole thing. His family's like this, right? It was not the Ganzi way to command anyone to do anything. They asked and hoped, did unto others, and silently hoped that they would do unto them. They'd come here for him. They'd come here for him. They'd come here for him. Please, Ganzi said, help me. Henry tossed the bee into the air. I thought you'd never ask. It's so beautiful because, like, he doesn't have to do it alone. The illusion of that is being done away with. But he's also not going to change who he is. He's not going to become a commander. He will ask them to follow him, to come with him on this journey, but he will not tell them to. Yeah. It's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. He's not that
0: disillusioned in his beliefs right that he's changing everything about himself
1: yeah he's still very deeply connected to the idea of well he's still very deeply connected to being a gansey and he's very aware of his friends and what they need from him at that moment like the fact that they turn up he's so grateful and he's so surprised like henry's there in the hole as you said and that is not a place that henry would ever want to be again and hmm Ronan is there and calls him a name, and then Adam also calls him a name, and they will the scary things into leaves and wind and dust so that it's not something that terrifies Gansey, because this fear is powerful in this tunnel along this ley line. They are there to help him. They are his magicians. Mm. Hmm. There's something really special about that.
0: Yeah. The only other disillusionment and connection I kind of had was with the gray man. Like, so it's this connection to Henrietta that compels him to try and make a change into the system. But he's also disillusioned with how it's been working. Like, he makes that yeah. comparison to a furniture store or, like, an antique store, being like, there's no guards out the front of that.
1: Yeah. Which is a great point. <laughs> right. And, like, no one no one boosts the sofa every day, so there's no need for there to be guards, right? Like, mm. this can be different. This can be better. It does not have to be the cutthroat way that it has been historically. Yeah.
0: So I appreciate him. You know, he's disillusioned with how it was and he's not going, oh, I'm going to become a cynic about it. He's like, no, he's the kind of fun disillusionment where he's like, I can do something about this. Even though it costs him personally.
1: It does. But he's already made the decision to be a king, right? So he's now moving forward in that. Like he's. He wants what he wants, but it will be a while before he gets it, and that's okay. Like, I don't think, I don't think it would matter too much to Maura that he's like in and out. You know, I think she'll be fine mm-hmm. with that. She has her own life and her own friendships, and like, she doesn't need him, but she does like him, which is kind of ideal. Like, that's what you want in a relationship for the first time ever in your life is somebody you can yeah. live without, but you don't want to. I mean, it, it'll be good for them both to have distance and not be like on top of each other's lives right away I think and my like thinking it through um but I find that the perspective we get from Sunduck is really interesting especially in terms of disillusionment that Sunduck has never suffered from disillusionment about what she wants out of life and realizing that her life was playing to a certain route or path and then going crazy like literally she she says she went mad and then recovering from that and going right. So now I know I want to do something different, and then transforming herself into the kind of person mm. she wants to be. Like she doesn't, she doesn't ha- seem to have many like misbeliefs. I would say, a lot of the yeah. things that Sunduck like hones in on are the truths right about Henry and about the existence of LaMonnier and about what it means to be a purveyor of magical articles.
0: Yeah, I do think you know there is a certain bit of. I feel like we. A lot of people do this. We all do this in some extent. You play the game. You you try to do what is expected of you. That right. is part of life. You grow up a certain way, and you think you're going to behave a certain way and do certain things. And there is a little bit of disillusionment that comes from actually this is not the life that I want. And maybe I should. I, there's part of me that feels like I should want it. And that's probably part of the whole going mad thing. Is being like, who do I actually want to be? It's the existential crisis. Like, what do I want mm. my life to look like? Yeah. Yeah, and then you reshape yourself in a way that aligns with your personal values, which is what she's done.
1: Absolutely.
0: And that protects her in a way because she yeah. has she has gone through that and so the demon doesn't have the same effect on her because she's like, well, it's kind of like once you've already experienced the worst, it's the same with Adam when the demon was transforming into his father, right? It's like, actually. Yeah. It's easy yeah, for I've me to tell before. the difference. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's so fascinating. I, I love that she was like, oh, it's whispering to me in my brain. Well, it's all of the ugliest unmakeable, unmake, unmaking type things. Okay, that's that's something I can separate out. And this is something you learn after, like, years of therapy. What, yeah. When those thoughts come up, you're like, hey, I know you. You're one of those BS thoughts that are, like, a big fat liar, aren't you? I don't have to listen to you. You get really good at, like, spotting when the thoughts start to creep back in. Which is just something that I think I'm probably always going to have some level of... Uh, Depression or anxiety, uh, and so like knowing that those thoughts will come back sometimes, even if I'm doing really great and feeling really good about myself, is is good to remind myself like, hang on, that little guy is going to be whispering. Um, I've named him Telemachus, and I'll just have to say Telemachus, stuff it. You don't know what you're talking about. And, and in this case, she's like literally. Sun Duck is literally able to make the distinction between that madness that she experienced and the fear that she has residual from that and the demon. Mm. But I mean, it's easier when it's a demon because you can literally see it, like it's right there. Um, whereas when it's yeah. a mental illness it's maybe not so easy <laughs> to, to, to discern that difference
0: I, I love the description that it's the thing that about being in the demon's prison was that it got worse instead of better, it's the opposite of getting used to it
1: Yeah. It's so just
0: this horrible unsettling force
1: That's what they, That's what they say is how you check for appendicitis, right? If you press on your side <laughs> and it gets worse after you let go, that's when you go to the hospital But if it gets better it might just be a sore muscle <laughs> Good This is not medical advice. Please Uh, Google this before you do this and then die of a burst appendix. But I think that's the way it goes. (laughs) I think there's a little bit of something in Sunduck that I wish I could channel, which is that she always knows when somebody is sucking up to her, and yet she allows it for the people who she likes. So she allows Declan to suck up to her, and she allows the grey man to suck up to her. And she says, you don't like me, and he says, but I respect you, and that's pretty much the same thing.
0: Yeah, and isn't that a mood? I really relate to that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, there are people that I don't like, but like, I feel like maybe we don't get along personally, but I get that their values are similar enough to mine that I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, we're Mm. on a level. It's fine. It doesn't have to be like a warm and friendly connection. Sometimes it's just like, okay, we're going to coexist and that will be all right. Yeah, that's
0: the whole genesis of the workplace, I think. People seem to think you need to be (laughs) friends with your colleagues. It's like, no, we just I just need to respect them. We just need to be able to get some work done. (laughs) We don't have to be friends.
1: I only have one, two, three, four colleagues. I'm pretty sure I have to be friends with all of them. It would be very awkward <laughs> no, if I will not No, you wasn't. don't
0: have to. You don't. Don't buy <laughs> into it. But they're all so
1: nice. Uh,
0: for now. <laughs> it's not even been three months. Let's check in again.
1: <laughs> it hasn't even been three weeks, really. Um, mm. I want to loop back to Adam a little bit. I think that my favorite part about Adam being possessed is how how very strongly his friends hang on to him and they, there's this great line, page 392, none of them wanted to hurt Adam Parrish no matter how violent Mm -hmm. he had become. Like that one just lives rent free in my brain. I can just envision them all standing around this rest area and like like okay, how do we stop him but we don't hurt him? And it always calls back to me like this is why you don't send police to like a meltdown when, when an autistic adult is having a meltdown like this mm. is why you don't send police because they have one answer and that answer is not actually going to be helpful and i love that this teens have immediately grasped like this is not a situation that we could that we want to hurt this person because we know he doesn't want to hurt us because like, actions are separate from his intention
0: yeah and when ronan says the choice was death or hurting adam which wasn't much of a choice at all like ronan oh, who is such a fighter would rather just oh. do nothing and i it, and so begging in- him to
1: fight too.
0: But it's just like so inextricably linked to Adam's experience of violence as well. Like the violence that yeah. has been done unto him by his father. Like Ronan will 100% be thinking about that already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that when he holds him as well, he talks into his hearing ear as well. Like Ronan is so aware of Adam. And I just, I love him for mm-hmm. that. Like that level of care. And he makes this little Latin joke, like, ha ha ha. You know, we'll laugh about this one day. Mm, will we? Will we, Ronan? Um, but also yeah. the the fact that Adam is now, you know, they, that line you said, no matter how violent he had become, which is one thing that Adam never wants to be. He doesn't want to be violent. Mm. He doesn't want to be That's his, his father. Fear, right? Is
1: turning into his father.
0: And now his autonomy has just been stripped from him completely, and even as he's fighting his friends, he's begging them to, to stop him. He doesn't want to hurt yeah. them. Yeah. It's so rough, man.
1: It is rough. And the fact that he knows that his hands and eyes are compromised, so he, like, wheels his body around to get away from them, like, out of range. Like, as a person who grew up with a lot of anger issues, I know that if I'm not going to, I don't know, lambast somebody, I will get myself out of the way. Like I will physically take my body into another room so I can have my feelings by myself. Like Murderbot, I want to go have an emotion in private. I really think that this is something that people who are angry need to learn how to do because anger is one of those things that if you have an audience for it, it can be really tempting to like fall into it. And that has mm. taught me just getting myself somewhere where I'm by myself. A lot of the anger goes because there's nobody there to feel it right yeah I'm the only one living it and that has helped me so much to realize that is actually something that I have enough control over to not be hurtful to other people and I mean like I haven't been that way since my late teens but I still feel it in my soul that like I could be somebody who hurts someone else and I don't ever want to be that person like Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to be in a position where I feel that provoked so like taking myself out of it the way that Adam is wrenching his body physically away it really gets me because he's connected that it's only his hands and eyes but they will betray him which is why he has to be blindfolded later but if he can get his body away he'll he'll keep them safe and that is his only goal is to like keep them safe he's like hurt me I don't care but don't let this hurt you and they're also willing to sacrifice themselves for each other oh my god and then
0: like with adam as well like his hands attack he's attacking himself cuz the demons mm-hmm. like no you don't but also then he's so willing to sacrifice himself for all of them cuz he's like i don't have the autonomy so you might as well just sacrifice me yeah. yeah
1: and everyone says no <laughs> which is great <laughs> oh like i love them i love them for wanting to protect him he's their most hurt i think adam is the most hurt of all of them like they're all hurt in different ways but adam is the the most hurt and they protect him accordingly
0: and then he has to sit there and listen to this chaos that he doesn't even know what's going on and something horrible what? is happening to ronan and like
1: he, he can't even see it it's a nightmare isn't it and uh, i because i listened to the audiobook today i was um I had to vacuum, like my house really needed vacuuming. So I was like, okay, I'll do my notes and then I'll listen to the audiobook. So I'm really fresh for it. So I was like vacuuming and like, this is really scary. Oh my gosh, what's happening? Because when it's being told to you and it's being read like a story, it's different than reading it because I can't easily go back and like reread to make sure that I'm experiencing it as it's being told. And it's very different. Mm. highly recommend for anybody if you get a little confused around action sequences to listen to the audiobook because that has helped me especially in this series and especially in this book to really grasp what's going on. Yeesh. And also I vacuumed like my whole house. It looks great. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, Is there anything else about I mean I I spent so much time thinking about Ganzi's relationship to Glendower and like his quest and well oh, I guess Would you say that the biggest disillusionment is that, okay, no, no, no. the question I wanted to ask you is, do you think that if they had believed they could wake Glendower up, they would have been able to? Because none of them really believed it, right? And that is such an interesting thing, and one of the tangential bits I had
0: is like, on page 382, just before he goes in to wake Glendower, he says this bit, where is it, let me just find it. Um... He tried to summon up intention, but he felt empty. His knees were knocking, not out of fear or anger, but some more vast emotion that he refused to acknowledge as grief. Grief meant he'd already given up. And I do think, you know, we know that intention matters. We know that belief matters in this kind of magic system. But I think... I don't think they would have been able to wake Glendower, regardless of whether they believed it or not. Unless the... The magic fundamentally changes the way it presents because it presents so different from how Gwenllian was in her tomb, right? Like, she's still yeah. a person. Yeah, if you walk in there and you see a man with an arrow through his chest and a scrying bowl and then bones on a, a table, like. It, I don't yeah. know how you can believe in that. And, like, because to me, the, the clear implication is they were trying to put Glendower to sleep the same way they did Gwenllian or, like, put her in stasis, but of course the guy died before it finished and Artemis ran off, so... Yeah. Yeah. The job wasn't done. The magic wasn't complete. The ritual wasn't complete. So that's why it didn't work.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. I guess I hadn't really thought about how it would happen, except that it did. Mm-hmm. I, I do love, there is a little bit of Gansey, which makes me laugh, where he's like, maybe I just have to go and tell somebody that this historical thing has happened. Maybe that's what the yeah. job is now. Like, he's, like, always ever the historian. Ever the historian. I mean, but the you should probably go and tell so someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The differences between this untombing or tomb entrance versus Gwen Cleans is so different, right? Like, it felt like a terrible day when they released Gwinkly and like, it was like, they were all tired. They were all cross. They were miserable. The weather was terrible. Um, it just didn't feel right. Like it was awful. Gansy was like, I can't even make myself be excited about this. And then here, like, then they get a live person who's like 600 years old, which is wild. Right. But then here it's like, everything feels right. I'm on the path. This is my destiny. I am doing the thing. And then they get bones. So there's that like up and down, down and up. So the disillusionment that this recalls is is like, it looks different but it's it's the reverse, right?
0: It's the classic disillusionment though when you think everything is right and everything is on track and then there's no payoff. Which is why, and I know you will laugh at me, but this is why I'm pessimistic. Like, if you don't expect (laughs) anything, you can never be disappointed. It's better to go through life like that. I don't want to expect wonder and get bones, okay? It's better to expect horrible things and then get wonder. It's great.
1: My my thing is somewhere in the middle hope for the best prepare for eventualities I think that's where I'm at I'm good at that I'll talk about that a little bit more in my end up but for sure I understand the allure of like nothing will ever turn out everything will be terrible but I also did that for several years and it just made my life like demonstrably worse so I think like finding a middle ground might be the better approach at least for me
0: it's not that I expect the worst, I just don't expect good things to happen. I just like expect <laughs> oh, mediocrity. No. Like life is mediocre, that is what I expect. And then I'm every day I'm pleasantly surprised. Like every day something wonderful happens where I'm like, "Haha, this is great. I did not expect this."
1: this is your argument for being a nihilist is that you actually yeah. want to be an optimist it's just hard work being an optimist I'm
0: the fun kind of nihilist though where I'm not yeah, like oh kind. nothing has meaning it's like aha nothing
1: has meaning <laughs> yeah, nothing has meaning so make the meaning for yourself yeah it's great um, can I draw a really long bow here I'm gonna say that this is the same type of coming of age moment that Harry Potter has in the third book hmm where he realizes that it is him that has to cast the Patronus I feel like this Gansey's moment is the same where he's realizing that he is going to have to die to make the demon go away there will be no resuscitating Noah there will be no other favors he will have to be that sacrifice it's the same thing right it's the same like I am my own adult or even when
0: Harry decides he has to go into the forest when he's like oh okay because he doesn't know he's going to make it out of that he thinks that's the end of the line right
1: yeah there's definitely a... I was just thinking about that moment, that Patronus moment today, where Harry's like, my dad's coming, my dad's coming, my dad's coming. And then he's like, where is he? And he's then he's like, coming. oh, no, wait, it's yeah. me. I'm the one. And this is the same thing that happens to Gansey, right? He's like, I will ask the king for a favor. I will ask the king for a favor. And they get there, and there is no king. And he's like, oh, I'm the king. I have to do this. And I love this story i love this story trope i love this so much like if i could just eat this moment in every book with a spoon i freaking would it is my absolute favorite the one like the moment where you actually realize that you have to be the adult but that you can do it because nobody else is going to i love it yeah the harry potter one is even
0: I find more interesting as well because it's Mm, like mm -hmm. he knows he can do it. He's been struggling with this magic, but he knows he can do it because he's already seen himself do it, and that's why he can cast the Patronus only because he knows he's done it before, which is such a wild thing to do. Hmm. And like maybe Gansy's having the same sort of thing. Like he knows he he can. He's not. He doesn't want to die, but he knows he can because he's done it before. (laughs) Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think the thing that Gansy's struggle really. Illustrates for me is that he needed to make meaning of Glendower so much, and at the end, he's like, "This man would never be anything for him or to him." And I was like, "No, he's been seven years of your life. That is like almost half your life at this point, Bud. You can just accept that it was your hyper focus and like move on from that. That's <laughs> that's cool. I was really into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for a while." Uh, uh, Like, uh, it's okay, they're okay now I don't hate them, but like, they're not my thing You can still like him You know, like, it's alright, bud I I just just feel really bad for him He's like, lost his his fandom or something
0: Yeah, like, it was a bad finale Bad final (laughs) episode, he's like I can never watch this series again, it's like me with Torchwood I can never go back
1: Yeah, or, what was the one that Everybody, oh, How I Met Your Mother? Oh, yeah people love that show. They love that show. I had so many people who love that show and then after the finale they were all like, "Well, this was garbage." And they never spoke of it again. Same with Game of Thrones. People do yeah, not Game talk it. Yeah, Game of Thrones is another anymore. one. But yeah, the implosion of Game of Thrones is interesting
0: and it's interesting to see that being rehabbed with the success of House of the Dragon. I find it really fascinating from a mm. fandom point of view.
1: Yeah. There are a lot of shows out there that I just have thought like you don't have to keep going if it's bad. You can stop. <laughs> So yeah, the bones, them not being able to wake up the bones is really interesting. They all note that it felt really dead in there. And it's sad. It's sad that they, it's sad that Ganzi's losing faith. Even as he's walking toward this, this, this tomb, it's sad that he is like, time is weird. Maybe my battery will last. I'm sure I'll be fine. I probably won't fall in a hole what if I do? Like, he's losing the nerve even as it's happening, and then his phone goes dark and then he's, like, scared that there are terrible things. But he does try and remind himself, like, he does hang on to it, right? He goes, what about what Henry said? Maybe it could be something beautiful. Hmm. He's hanging on to that hope, but I just don't think he's feeling it anymore.
0: Which is fair, and that's why he needs his friends around him, to draw strength from them, right?
1: Yeah. What if he had taken them with him to begin with? What if they had... What if they had been there the whole time? Would it be different? Would the outcome be different? Would the hope be enough? Would the intention be enough? I don't know. No, because it was never
0: his really his quest, was it? Like, it's not about Glendower. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day.
1: Maybe the real quest was the friends we make along we made, the way. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know, we know that it's Noah who tells him to do this. We know that it is Noah who saves him and who gives him this last bit of his life, right? Like, we know that. We know that it is an act of friend love and friend sacrifice that actually is what gets Gansey up again when he's a child and leads him on this path. Which is really interesting because, like, how many people do we have in our lives who were there at the precise moment that we needed them to guide us? Mm. Like, I, I can think of so many different people who in my life gave me, like, a nod or a nudge or a word or a book that just changed the entire course of my life. With Without that, I would be a completely different person. Mm. Uh, but I can remember all of them. I know all of them. And I think Ganzi is unable to. And he really wants to be able to, like, proper attribution. He wants to thank the person who has saved him. Yeah. Um. It's just
0: a lot going on is a
1: lot. Uh, do you have any tangential no I've spoken about mine um yeah how about you all mine is Henry related because I love <laughs> Henry so, funny. so I love when they're at the tomb and he goes there's no chance this guy is evil is there I'm too young to die really really too young and then he's like checking with blue I don't suppose your tree father gave you any other demon killing advice <laughs>
0: A bit when he's like, I was late to class, uh, so just checking.
1: (laughs) This might be a redundant question, but yeah. And then I I love that Sendak, his mother says, Henry, her middle son, shone brightly but never seemed to be able to direct that light outside of himself. Like, I love that. Mm. I feel that way about my kids. I I see the light that they shine, and I think other people... I think people look at my daughter and think, oh, she's a lovely little candle. And I think people look at my son and they're like, that kid is a bonfire. And they're like, like, they see it differently than I see it. I see all of the glow and none of the like heat or the smallness that other people would perceive. Mm. So it made me really think about how I look at my kids and like what I can do to support them. And like, four for you, Sunduck. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah. Um. Did you have an in-depth? I sure do. So it's
0: Gansy and it's in um, the tomb when they're having their moment. And Gansy's just about to say that they should just sacrifice him because Blue saw his spirit on the ley line and blah, blah, blah. And so the line is, page 388. Don't look at me like that, Gansy said. I don't want to die. I'm terrified, actually, but I don't see any other option. And the fact is that I want to make something of myself before I die, and I thought it was going to be something about Glendower it's obviously not, so I might as well do something meaningful and kingly the last bit was a little melodramatic, but it was a melodramatic situation which I love so I think it relates to our themes of disillusionment, because Gansey's sort of just, he's given up on the dream, he's like, no magic is going to come save me, I'm going to have to be my own saviour, as you've already spoken about and the connection that he's made as well, the connection to wanting to rid the world of this demon, he wants to do something that is meaningful, because he wants to make the world safe for his friends and his loved ones, and you know do something good with his life yeah. like that is the ultimate connection to community that you're driven to purpose i think yeah but what it reminded me of is one of my favorite films a knight's tale in a knight's tale there's that moment where williams in the stocks because he mm. has been rumbled he's been sold out he's not actually a knight he's been lying about his identity and the big bad has done this to him and then prince edward turns up and earlier in the movie he figured out that one of the knights was the prince and no one else would battle him, or fight him or joust him, I guess is the official Mm. term, so he was like he did it anyway, and so the prince comes to visit him when he's in the stocks, and he has him released, and William is sort of reluctant, doesn't know what's going on, and Prince Edward says what a pair we make, both trying to hide who we are, but unable to do so, your men love you if I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough but you also tilt when you should withdraw and that is knightly too and then, you know, he with like has him released from the stocks and he knights him on the spot and he makes him an actual knight. And he makes up some story about him. My personal historians have discovered this, blah blah blah. But he that's just a cover story. Like, he is just doing this yeah. because he's seen the kind of person that William is and he believes in him and he thinks he deserves to be a knight. And I just really love that in the sense that we go through our lives thinking certain things and holding certain truths about ourselves. Like, Gansey has this whole thing about, like, oh, I've been told that I was destined for greatness. But it's not what other people, or that what circumstance makes of you. It's what you. It's how you act and how you make other people feel. And that's with Gansey as well. Yeah. Like he makes his friends better, and he makes his friends feel more magic and more alive. And he makes. He's just a good person. He's a good person. He does unto others and hope they do unto him. Same with William in A Knight's Tale. Like yeah, he starts out like selfish measures, but it's not really. He's just good people and going forward that's what it's about it's not about what the world tells you you are it's how you make other people feel and how you behave and I just want to hold
1: on to that I love that that is truly goals I yeah. agree I was having this conversation with my husband he said oh I think terrible things all the time I'm an awful person and I was like no you don't do terrible things though you can think whatever you that's want the like thought, thought crimes are not a thing like I think mean things about people all the time, but I only rarely say them. And generally only to my husband when I'm complaining about someone that we both dislike, which is like the safe place, right? That's where it's allowed. You have to. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What was your in-depth? My in-depth? It was on page 375 and it was when they're just about to go into the tomb. So in the end, this was how it looked. A raven carved stone door and a dreamt bee crawling over the ivy. The tunnel behind them had led out from a house from Gansey's unmagical youth, not a forest from Gansey's extraordinary present. It was nothing as he had daydreamed it might look. It felt exactly right. So he's right there. He's about to do it. He's thinking about how right it feels and how different it was from what he daydreamed it being like. Like he'd pictured this happening so many times over the years, um, and like it wasn't matching up with the daydream, but the rightness mm. of the reality of it didn't make that like it cause that daydream not to matter. Um he's so connected to this moment that it doesn't have to match. Now this is something that I really struggled with as a kid and probably well into my young adulthood, is that I would envision an outcome and then when it wouldn't go exactly to that plan, even if things had been good or better, I would feel this profound disappointment. I would really struggle. Mm-hmm. So I ended up feeling worse about stuff every time because I had pictured exactly how things would go and I have a very vivid imagination. So I would picture it very vividly and then it wouldn't go to plan and I would feel like really upset. Uh, Now, this is probably not a neurotypical thing, I would say. I had a lot of um, OCD traits in my childhood, which I think are probably like related to that. I used to do everything in threes, sixes or nines and I still sometimes will tap. Three times if I need to do something like mm. that—that's a grounding thing. The triangle is my favorite shape. Um, hexagons are just more triangles, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I—I I, I think that I just really had like a s- rigid set of expectations, um, and it took me a really long time to figure out a workaround about this. So like my brain—I know it's never going to be quiet long enough to stop doing these hypotheticals, but I just started coming up with even more hypotheticals um like really silly ones really horrible ones really great Uh. ones really middling ones so if i just keep coming up with all of the hypothetical things that could happen then i could not be upset that it didn't go to plan because it could have gone to any number of plans and there are infinite shades between all of those hypotheticals Mm. and as long as it fell somewhere in the scope of like reality and imagination i could live with it right now this was something that i had to come to on my own but When my kids started doing speech therapy, it became very clear to me that this is something that speech therapists teach kids, and it's something I've spoken about before on this podcast, super flex and rock brain. Um, And they're just tools for teaching kids resilience and flexibility. Um, So at the age of 40, I still have to remind myself not to be rock brain about some things, that I have to be super flex. I'm just really proud of Gansey for having this sorted out at 17, that he's able to be flexible. like He can discard the expectations of his daydream in order to experience the rightness of the reality that he's in Mm. um so yeah i think going forward when we are truly connected to something like the disillusionments we experience don't have to be bad sometimes we can cast off those expectations and embrace what's happening and like live in the good sometimes letting go of what we think should happen is is the right thing so keep your super flex brain engaged turn your heart on work toward being connected and i guess assume good intentions until proven otherwise
0: no, oh, i love that that's such a positive yet again a positive take and i really really appreciate that <laughs> reminder that's great
1: this is why i say that like my being an optimist was something i had to learn <laughs> like, you're like i just expect nothing of everyone and i'm like okay but i have done both sides of this <laughs> that's what i mean like i have learned to do the hypothetical everyone will explode in a fiery comet you know you just That's do all the variations. The exactly. I have hypotheticals for everything. It's terrible, but it keeps me sane. Gets the job
0: done. Who do you want to spotlight this week? I want to spotlight Adam because, as we've discussed ad nauseam on this podcast, throughout this series, is just he he really values his autonomy. And for him to ha- yeah, both have that taken from him, but also to turn himself and this thing that he really dislikes about himself, this violence against his friends, is just really, really horrible. And then also for him to just sit there and listen to this horrible thing happening to this person that he's developed feelings for is just really horrific. So, spotlight for Adam.
1: Oh, perfect. How about you? I'm glad you spotlight Adam so that I can spotlight Gansey. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm proud of him for being brave, and I don't think he should need to be, because I know that it did not have to be this way but of course it is so he's doing what he needs to do to get through this moment I'm just really proud of him for being like in the moment living with it letting himself fall apart a little bit Mm. I don't know I just want to give him a hug it is so hard to grow up and that's what he's doing right at this moment like we're we're right at his like real adulthood moment this is when Mm. everything changes and he becomes a full adult I guess like this is his grow up moment so yeah Gansy for me. Oh, that's a good one.
0: And like, yeah, that moment when he's just laying his head on the grass and he's just having a cry it's really hard. I really feel for him.
1: Yeah. It's a good way to like just go like he literally went out and touched some grass, so the youths could Mm. (laughs) take a a leaf from that book. Um, do you have any homework for our for our listeners? I do not have
0: homework. I haven't really done anything. I've just been working really hard. So yeah. I watched watched Mamma Mia last night with my housemate because we were both like, just need something fun and she's like, Mamma Mia? I'm like, sure. So that is always a, great a delight. Movie.
1: Yeah, Mer- so if Meryl's you have
0: that yeah, give that a crack if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. So that's my homework. Find something that sparks joy for you.
1: How about you? What homework do you have? I'm about halfway through the second Temeraire book by Naomi Novak and it's really nice. Mm. I'm just really enjoying the series. It. I love her writing and I love her world building and I think Sometimes you just need to read about a man and his dragon. Mm. I think I got about
0: four bu- books into that series. I was reading it when I was at university and my friend used to get buy them and then I'd borrow her copies. But yeah, they were still being written. You know how I feel about well,
1: there's that. There's nine of them. So I think I don't know if they're done, but I feel like there's enough that if I want to stop at any point, I can, which is mm. pretty good. We love that. All right, well, next week we're going to read chapter 62 through the epilogue, through the theme of promise, ah. and we're going to wrap up the book. So that's I I cannot happening. believe it. I know. It's going to be so good. Thank you so much ah. for parting with me. Thank you. It's always so lovely to see your face. I know. It's great. And I will see you next week, and we will see the series out. Okay. Mm-hmm. See you then. Right. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Marginali Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginalipod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website, www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities who love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you.